Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about Music Masters Collective, a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. These events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like the Fab Faux, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, John Schofield, Nels Klein, the Milk Carton Kids, and many more. This June, join the Wait Band, featuring members of the band and the Levon Helm Band with special guests including Jimmy Vivino, Bob Margolin, Lost Leaders, Chris O'Leary, Cindy Cashdollar, Stony Creek Band, Rob Fraboni, Larry Packer, and so many more at Camp Cripple Creek. This all-inclusive music vacation in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York promises to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience featuring performances, workshops, jams, comfortable lodging, and superb dining. Visit CampCrippleCreek.com slash Undermine to register today. That's CampCrippleCreek.com slash Undermine. Osiris. Welcome to season four of the Undermine Podcast by Osiris Media. I am Tom Marshall, and I'll be your fish tour guide as we retrace Fish's fabled Fall 97 tour, night by night, city by city, jam by jam, and limb by limb. Why Fall 97 and why now? Well, it's the 25th anniversary of the legendary legendary tour where Fish destroyed America. Did that really happen, Benji? It did. It did. It did. At <laughs> least according to the ads in the merch. Were their hands really faster than guns? Let's find out safely from the distance of 25 years. My co-pilot today, as we steer the time capsule straight into the side of the Rocky Mountains, is my friend and fellow Undermine executive producer, Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Hi, Tom. How are you? I hope, Fabulous. Having, I hope you're having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? I, I'm having a good time too, though. And in fact, I think we all are. We all must be because here we are. We are in Denver. It is November 16th, but 1997, which means that Bill Clinton is president. Puff Daddy 
is in fashion and tearing up the charts. Although I think the number one song uh, this time, uh, this whole period was Candle in the Wind by Elton John, but the remake of it. Mm. Um, And, you know, they say that uh, hindsight is uh, 360 degrees. But Fish's two-night stand in Denver was destined to be off-kilter from the start because it was a Sunday and a Monday. So um, you never miss a Monday night show, as we will get to tomorrow. But first, this Sunday night is no joke either. Um, if you're laughing, it's only it's only in disbelief. There are some truly spectacular moments here. And in fact, in my world, 11 1697, everyone always says 11 1697. 11 1697 is almost as magical a number combination as 11 1797 or 71394, any of the any of these shows that we all know by the dates by heart. Um, none of those, by the way, are actually my passwords. So don't even try. <laughs> um, in fact, instead, here's a more productive outlet for all of that excess energy. Um, here we go. If you are enjoying what we are doing on the show, then please consider supporting our new Osiris Premium offering, which you can join for just a couple bucks a month. You'll get bonus episodes of HF Pod and Undermine, ad-free episodes, access to the full archival Under the Scales catalog, discounts on Osiris merch. You'll get meet and greets, AMAs, the opportunity to guest on our shows, um, and more. So check out OsirisPod.com slash premium or click on the link in the little show notes. Well, that was a mouthful. And now do you have any good news for us? <laughs> yes, Tom. Now, <laughs> now for the good news. Hey, listen, it, actually, this is great news. If you've ever wanted to be a guest in the show, you know, for those of us that were there and that lived it, we all have a lot of memories of Fish's Fall 97 tour. Uh, and we want to hear yours. So here's how. You make a video, you make it one minute or less. I wish I could do that. You can't. Um, <laughs> But uh, share anything about any of the shows from this tour. It could be a memory. It could be a misadventure, a favorite venue, a favorite jam. You post it on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You tag Osiris Pod. Um, Osiris Pod, you have to tag. And if you do that, then we will choose a contributor at random. And you can actually win a handwritten copy of the lyrics to Ghost from our friend Tom Marshall who, of course, wrote the lyrics to Ghost the first time as well. <laughs> I uh, I have to say, Tom, I am not happy that I'm disqualified from this, but that's okay. You know, Tom, I already know those lyrics by heart anyway. Uh, oh, well, that makes one of us. I was going to have to pull them from the internet. <laughs> Just made sure that you get them then from uh, fish.net so that you get them right. Uh, I believe I know how it starts. It starts with... Uh, I feel you never told me the story of our special guest. <laughs> uh, there's a lot I definitely haven't told you, Benji. Um, do you think the ghost is still Casper? I don't know, but um, I ain't afraid of no ghost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then you won't be afraid of today's special guest, because from what I understand, you're old friends with him. Let's bring him on and get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Scott Galbraith. Hello. Hey, guys. hey, Scott. Hey, Scott. How's it going? We're doing great. And uh, yeah, we got through a long, uh, it seems like our business that we have to take care of uh, gets longer every time. And so <laughs> the meat of the show gets shorter. 
It's like the bread gets thicker and the meat gets thinner. Um, today's focus is 11-16-97 from Denver. But Scott, let's start with your fish origin story. How long have you been seeing fish by this point? Um, my first fish show was 12-28-96, which was the core state spectrum um, in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. I was a senior in high school. I had just started listening to fish a little bit, somehow got tickets and ended up there. And uh, being a senior in high school, about to sort of embark on uh, my new new life, finding fish, that show, it just kind of opened up this entire new world and changed everything for me. Did it ruin your GPA? Um, <laughs> not sure how much of that was to be ruined, but uh, yeah, it did a little bit for sure. So that was my first show. And then I caught um, a couple shows in summer 97, the um, the first three of that summer tour. So that would have been North Carolina or Virginia Beach, North Carolina and Atlanta. Hmm. Those are the, the next three shows. And then went off to college. I went to Boulder in, in Colorado. And this show was a couple months after starting my freshman year there. So it would have been my fifth show at that point. Cool. That's cool. And also that, you know, catching the first three shows of that summer tour, it means that you kind of were uh, primed for their, you know, Fish's funk direction. Uh, but stopping first to just go back and talk about this venue. I know, Scott, you lived in Denver for a while. Um, you know, I was confused until recently about a lot of things, actually. But I was confused until recently because I thought that this arena lived on to this day as the Pepsi Center and then the Ball Arena, which is what it's called now. But that's just not true. McNichols was like, a, a, I think it was adjacent to Mile High Stadium from what I yeah. saw online. It was adjacent to Mile High. They had some like hockey and basketball games there. And then yeah. when the Nuggets moved to um, their current place, they, I just learned this the other day too, they knocked it over and made it just a parking lot. Uh, yeah. And so it opened in 1975, demolished in 1999. Uh, some, of course, would say that it was demolished on these two nights in 1997. <laughs> um, but the, the building has a pretty respectable history for its, its short uh, you know, time in operation. What do you remember about being inside the venue and about the scene outside? You know, paint the picture for us. Okay, well, um, I remember it being very cold. It was November. Um, I was, like I said, a freshman in college and um, only a couple months there. So didn't really have a crew of people or anything. Uh, I remember actually I ran into a couple guys that I sort of knew that morning um, and convinced them to come to this fish show with me. Um, they had never been before and we took the bus down. And that was kind of a new experience too, to go from Boulder where we were down to Denver. And they let us bus let us out in this city that we weren't really familiar with and had to walk around and navigate to this, I don't want to say seedy, but it certainly wasn't a new nice stadium. Um, and I remember the parking lots being really cold. Uh, there, I was surprised how many people were out still doing the vending thing. But um, I also remember everyone kind of getting inside pretty quickly because, uh, you know, no one wanted to hang outside that much. And the stadium inside uh, was, I think it holds like 15,000 people, so pretty good size, but not huge. And uh, I remember just the electricity of of being inside that place, waiting for the show to come on was was something else. 
nothing kills a lot seeing like 15 degrees and windy and, and dark and cold. <laughs> um, so, so this, this show, uh, just three shows into the uh, 21 show tour, um, songs like ghost vultures, Piper twist, all were new to the repertoire. And so a lot of people were hearing them for the first time, um, that fall, but you were already familiar because you'd been on, on summer tour. Uh, did it seem to indicate that fish was like with the new songs, but also could you sense fish was exploring new ground sonically? Yeah. I mean, those, those first three summer 97 shows, they opened up in ways that I hadn't heard them before. Um, I was the, the Walnut Creek or sorry, the Atlanta ghost. Um, that was the mm. first time I heard ghost. I remember thinking like, Oh, this is a pretty basic song, not much to it. And then, you know, what was it? 37 minutes later, by the end of it, you know, that was, and still is today, the song that I most want to hear at any show I go to because of where it can go. And, uh, I remember thinking that like, okay, we're, this band is, is doing some new things that I hadn't heard. And, you know, the tapes that I listen to and, and that kind of thing. Well, you know, not, not all of the new songs from 97 debuted earlier that summer, you know, fish officially debuted farmhouse on television. Um, <laughs> this, you know, on Conan O'Brien, uh, this night in Denver marked its actual live debut in front of an audience. You know, um, Farmhouse hasn't, Tom, put your earmuffs on. Farmhouse hasn't always been everybody's favorite tune necessarily, but Nonsense. it employs its own fan club and I'm in it. You know, so, um, so this was obviously the first time you heard Farmhouse unless you saw the Conan uh, late night appearance. What did you make of it this night, hearing it for the first time? Oh, man, that was the first time I heard Farmhouse. And uh, while it's a good song now and I understand its its significance, that night, I thought it was one of the greatest things I had ever heard. It was just like immediately likable and immediately like drew me in. I felt like, you know, the warmth and the like love of, of you know, that that song can kind of portray. And that was definitely the highlight of my first set. I remember asking everybody like, what was that song? What was that new song? It was so good. It was so good. And all the OG heads were told me it was Black Eyed Katie because they assumed that was the new song I was talking about. Um, but I didn't even realize that was a new song because, you know, it seemed to me sort of just like a jam. But Farmhouse to me that night, I thought, OK, like this is a song I can't wait to show everybody. I know this is going to get them into fish. They're going to love it. They're going to get it. And uh, yeah, it was it was a, a special song for me that night. to feel that way by the way yes <laughs> <laughs> um so uh you mentioned uh black eyed katie which was the second ever mm -hmm. and, and your first time hearing it unless you were in vegas several oh. days before it's important it's kind of like it's becoming like this um like theme of the 97 tour for us um uh, and it's also like um 
you know, it's important because it was the compositional representation of the dive into the funk. And what mm-hmm. was your first impression of it? My first impression was honestly, I didn't realize it was a song. I thought it was just like, <laughs> I jam. thought they were just like, let's just jam. And they just jumped right into it and just jumped into the funk. And I thought, you know, super funky, super cool. I thought they were just messing around um, because of how immediately it goes right into this sort of, you know, half funk or half jam, half, half song. Um, so I thought it was really cool, but um, I, you know, got to say that farmhouse that that came up next i thought that was the song of the night <laughs> well cool. you know uh wait a second uh tom actually i want to ask you something quickly uh if you don't mind you know black eyed katie became the musical basis for moma dance which you wrote the lyrics to so this is interesting because you know the band was playing the music for the audience and we all knew the music we knew the song before it had words. And, you know, like, as we're, we're talking about now, it, it almost as an instrumental, sometimes you didn't even know that it was a song until there's words for it. And now, of course, it's MoMA dance. Did you did you write the words for the song after hearing the music performed live? No, no, I think these I think these were in a book that uh, Scott Herman and I had put together and given to Trey. And so he probably like realized, Hey, this is a cool thing that he needed lyrics for. And I think he thumbed through like a bunch of our lyrics. And so it was definitely Trey who stitched the lyrics to the music. Most of the lyrics in this song, I should mention are, are by uh, my lyricist, Scott Herman. Um, And before you ask, yes, I'm the only lyricist who has a lyricist. <laughs> and, and occasionally a ghostwriter. <laughs> um, oh, that's right. You, know, you guys, we should uh, we should talk about both of these sets. But uh, first, you know, another performer that performed at McNichols Arena was Elvis Presley, and he performed one sold out show with his TCB band. And TCB stands for Taking Care of Business. So if you're wondering why I mentioned Elvis, it's because of that. Because we are about to TCB. We will BRB. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun.
We have now TCB'd and we're back. I'm Tom Marshall here with my co-host Benji Eisen and our guest Scott Galbraith discussing fish November 16th, 1997. All right, Scott, we talked about Farmhouse and I was delighted with your reaction to it and Black Eyed Katie. But what else about that first set made it stand out? Um, the, the show or the venue was pretty cool just because, um, I had gone to a couple outdoor shows and, uh, being inside for the fall tour, uh, just really kind of captured the energy of that show. Um, some of the other songs they played, I remember the taste actually being pretty elevated. They, they just kept keeping it up and up and up. And that was another song that I had really fallen in love with uh, from that summer tour in Raleigh, where they had the lightning claps going on during that taste. Um, so that song is special to me. And um, then after that, they brought out Pete um, Wernick for a couple bluegrass tunes, which was cool, but it wasn't quite the, you know, all-encompassing fish high energy, you know, spectacle that, that I was really yearning for. And, uh, I remember actually turning to my friends who I brought down after the first set and asking them what they thought of it, thinking like, you know, it's pretty standard first set, a lot of kind of, you know, shorter songs, some bluegrass songs, and wasn't anything that special, good, but not special. And both of them, they thought it was the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. They thought yes. that like, couldn't believe how good it was and i remember thinking man if you guys think that first set was good just wait until the second set you have no idea and they didn't think there was any way it could have topped that musical experience they had in the first set largely because of the farmhouse <laughs> largely because of the farmhouse yeah, uh fellows we should definitely you know talk about the set too it's uh a five song barn burner um Scott, as our as our guest of honor, do you want to kind of like walk us through the opening segment of uh, Tim Bergeri into Simple, which has become a, a kind of famous little segment of the show? Yeah, well, so second set comes around. Um, I remember the lights going off. They come back on the stage and they don't launch into a song. They sort of just start of like messing around with their instruments and kind of like bringing some chaos in. Trey starts these loops that start going and um, it just seemed like it seemed like they didn't know what song they were going to play. And but before you know it, um, Fishman starts playing this, the the drums, the intro to Timber starts bringing it all around. Trey starts playing those chords on top of it. And all of a sudden, everyone realizes what they're playing. And it was just this really cool kind of slow segue from sort of noise into Timberhoe, which at the time I didn't know that song, but I was immediately just like blown away by like, what is this? This is unlike anything I've ever heard before. And uh, they went into it, sung the first couple um, lines of it. And then just from there launched into their, you know, quintessential 97 fall jam, which has just taken us all on a ride to who knows where. And uh to the to this day, it's one of the, the best jams, the way that they they play that timber from complete chaos to these really beautiful kind of meandering, simple melodies and um, keeping that timber going until sort of out of nowhere, they segue into simple into this way that, that I think is one of the, the best segues they've ever done. 
No, no doubt. And um, just to give a little secret behind the scenes away, um, Benji, who knows that I don't go back and re-listen to shows very much. If there's a segment of a show that we're likely to focus on, he'll say, Tom, at least listen to this. And <laughs> it was the Timber Jerry into Simple and I completely agree with you. However, I did listen to more. <laughs> I didn't only listen to that. And there's a phenomenal Harry Hood uh, with a gorgeous peak. Um, for you, what other uh, takeaways would you say there are here in the second set? Um, well, the both the timber, the segue, the simple, the jam, which was great. Um, I also think the way that they went from the simple into Wilson was also pretty amazing. Um, they just kind of keep breaking it down. Trey starts playing the, the, this riff that isn't Wilson, which I still kind of wondered, did they know they were going into Wilson or he just, <laughs> they just find themselves there, but the way they kind of segued into that song, which is hard to segue into because it's just like a, you know, two note riff to start. Um, that's kind of a piece of those three songs. I always listen to together. I can't start it without getting those three songs. Um, and then the hood, like you mentioned, it was, it was, uh, that hood kind of perfectly describes the best way they can play that song, which yeah. is <laughs> they start off so intricately, so, um, um, carefully. And you're just sort of like meandering through this field, kind of going and being happy. And it goes up a little bit. It comes down a little bit and goes up a little bit, comes down a little bit. You don't really realize how they're slowly, slowly bringing it up before all of a sudden you realize you're just on this journey to, to upper echelons of, you know, the McNichols arena. <laughs> they bring it up and up and up as many hoods do, but this one, it gets higher than you think they can possibly go. They pause there and then they take it up another couple notches and everyone's mind in that place was blown that night. Um, that hood is, is so special. They could have ended the set with that hood. Um, but instead they, they launch right into Isabella, which was just an, an amazing bonus cap to that set. describe the hood is kind of appropriate that it happened in Denver because um, I've just been watching this show. I think it's called Aftershock about like Everest. It's a, a, a terrible <laughs> uh, avalanche that happens in Nepal. And, um, you know, the way you climb Everest is you start in base camp and then you take an expedition to camp one and then you go back down to base camp to acclimate and then you go up to two and then you come down to camp one and eventually you set for the peak. And that sounded exactly like what you're talking about for that hairy hood. Yeah, and then then you get to that peak, you think you're there, and then you find out there's a whole other mountain behind it that you still have to climb. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and then they come out for the encore, which is David Bowie, and that's no joke either. That, yeah. That Bowie version was just phenomenal. Which, what a great single song encore. Um, I also, I went with, or I met another friend there at the show, and his favorite song was Bowie. And after, all he wanted to hear was Bowie. 
And he went to that show, totally hoping for Bowie. By the end of the show, was like, oh, too bad you didn't get to hear it. Maybe next time. And then boom. Out encore for it. And it was just, <laughs> he assumed it was for him. Everyone else was so surprised. Well, of course it was for him. It's that fish synchronicity. Yeah. Um, but, so, okay. So, Scott, you walk out of the arena after after this show. You must have been walking on air. You know, um, you just left 11 you know, which we're still talking about 25 years later. Did you realize it at the time? Like, uh, was this your your favorite fish show that you had seen up until that point? Was it at the time that you realized that it was something special? I mean, absolutely. It was something special. It was, uh, you know, everything I look for in a fish show, which is just to get completely teleported from wherever I start to somewhere completely different. And uh, yeah, I walked out of that show just, you know, sort of knowing knowing that if all else fails, there's still fish shows and I can still have the time of my life by going to see music with friends that I just met. And uh, I remember the parking lot afterwards. I don't remember it being cold. It must've been just as cold or colder, but everyone was just like skipping around happy. And that was kind of my first after show lot scene because we didn't have a ride home. So we were actually stuck there. <laughs> just remember talking with everyone about how awesome that show was and how you know fish has just become this behemoth of of what they were at that time which was you know the pinnacle of of their their music career up to that point that's fantastic and i love how fish ignited some like flame in your inner core and you didn't even feel the cold afterwards yeah. that's awesome that's amazing what a show and uh there you have it folks Fish destroyed Denver one night before they came back to burn the rest of it <laughs> to the ground. And that happens tomorrow. And Scott, it's been extremely fun talking about night one with you. And if you've been listening to this season of Undermine, you know that we like tonight, we, we've been trying to talk to people who were actually in the building. So thank you. Um, and tomorrow night, we're going to talk to someone who is definitely in that building and might have been on the stage. But uh, no more hints. Uh, thank you, Scott Galbraith. Thank you, Benji Eisen. Thanks to our entire Osiris team. And thanks to all of you for listening and playing along. And thank you to Cash or Trade, the world's only social network for fans. Buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Instead of walking around with your finger in the air, visit cashortrade.org and get the seats you want for the price the artist intended. We'll see you tomorrow night back here on Undermine. And until then... Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Thanks again, guys. Osiris. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. 
And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform.